Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's such a beautiful fall day. I know we've got some fellowship that's happening that we're preparing for, but I just wanted to take this moment to um, invite the Lord to meet us here. And I uh, just sense that even though there's a lot going on in the world that we don't fully understand, um, I just have to believe that we all walk into this building, to this time of worship with heavy, tired hearts that just don't know what to think, how to feel, but other than just immense grief and devastation, right? And it's times like this that can just make you feel like you're going through the motions, we're just kind of walking around emotionless because we're overwhelmed at all that is happening in the world at large, but I think we carry our own added anxieties and stresses um, on top of what's happening globally. And so I have felt that this week, so perhaps this is just for me, Um, but I, as always, it's very important to me that we enter into this time of worship intentionally, Um, and I don't want us to miss the ways that God seeks to restore our souls this morning. I don't want to miss the way that the sweet, comforting spirit of God wants to be present, who is present, wants us to acknowledge his presence and to nourish and encourage and strengthen our souls because he is faithful to do that. And we could easily just come in and out of this place and miss that. We could totally miss it if we wanted to, if we chose to. But I'm praying, and I invite you to pray with me that, with me this morning that God's presence would just be um, so incredibly palpable that we couldn't miss it even if we tried. So would you pray that with me? Would you open your hearts for worship this morning? God, we know that you are already present in this place. We know, God, that you um, are meeting us here And God, I know that you seek to restore and strengthen our souls. And so God, we enter into this place, a lot of us just carrying the heavy burdens of the world and in our own lives, God. And I pray that this morning as we lift up our hands in worship, in faithfulness, trusting in your goodness, in your provision, in your mercy, in your peace, God, I pray that as we as we lift up our voices in song, that, that we would be encouraged, not just because we're singing words or because we're checking a box, but God, may we worship knowing and in faith that you are with us, that you are present, that you are present in this world, that you are working in this world. You are bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And God, may we not lose sight of that. God, may you reignite our vision helping us to see what it looks like to be participants in the coming of your kingdom now as it is in heaven. So God, this morning we lift up our voices, we lift up our hands in worship, in praise because of your steadfastness, your faithfulness, and we look to you to strengthen us today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. You can just Oh, yeah. All right. Um, I think Nora and Jonah are in here too. Would you mind to come up, kids? Be with your mom and dad up here. (laughs) So 
the month of October is known as Pastor Appreciation Month, and so we're going to join in that. The reality is I hope we show appreciation to you guys year-round, year um, but we want to be sure that we, we take a Sunday where we recognize our, our pastor. So um, for you guys, we have some cards, notes, gift cards, some candy for you guys <laughs> um, that hopefully will be a blessing to you. Um, we also, today is Sack Lunch Sunday, and so we hope that you will stay after and have lunch with us today. Um, if you forgot to bring lunch, you could always run over to Dairy Queen and grab something or somewhere else. Um, but as part of Sack Lunch Sunday, we want to have kind of a harvest celebration. So that's what's going on out there. <laughs> um, because we did the community garden this year, we wanted to have kind of a garden theme today. So there's all sorts of fruits and vegetables out there that will be part of lunch. So even if you forgot lunch, and you're good on eating fruits and vegetables, <laughs> there's lots of them that are out there. There's an abundance out there. So we want to have that as part of our um, Pastor Appreciation Celebration today is, is having this harvest celebration out there too. Um, so also, um, we had sent out to, um, to you guys uh, this prayer sheet for praying, and there's a scripture verse every day too, for praying for our pastors every day this month. And my encouragement is, you continue that, <laughs> you know, keep, keep praying for our pastoral family. And so um, Stu is going to pray for our pastors today. Ask that you all join me as I pray for this wonderful family. Um, our Father, we thank you so much for all the blessings that you've given us. And chief among these blessings is this Cotton family. And we thank you so much for bringing them to us. And we ask that as they go about their day-to-day -day chores uh, leading this congregation, that you would keep them encouraged because there's a lot of things that can happen that are truly discouraging. But we ask that you would continually encourage them and lift them up and show them in a variety of ways that you love them and that we love them. And we ask that you give them wisdom. There's, there's some, uh, some things that happen in the life of a church where the pastors need the wisdom of Solomon. And we ask that, in, in fact, in your word, you say that if we uh, lack wisdom, we should ask for it. So we ask that you would give them Wisdom that will um, give them the, the guidance and the direction and the ability to follow your will. And we ask that you would guide them as they lead us. And if we try to do stuff, if they try to do stuff in their own power, Lord, it's, it's not going to amount to anything. And we'd ask that they continually lean on you and depend on you. Uh, for guidance and power and the strength to do the things that they should do. We ask for their protection. In, in this world, there are so many ways that we're in danger. Um, it seems like Satan is just trying harder than ever to uh, discourage uh, God's people and, and to just mess things up for us. And we ask that you protect them physically and emotionally and spiritually and uh, just keep a hedge of protection around them. And 
We ask that um, you, you keep their family in harmony and love. And one of the ways Satan attacks us is through the family. And we ask that you give them just a, a, a wonderful atmosphere at home that's peaceful and loving. And as the kids, uh, Nora and Jonah, grow up, I ask that you be with them, protect them, guide them, draw them closer to you, and <laughs> let them be a source of joy to their mom and dad. And uh, we ask that in this coming time, there's going to be a time of transition for them as they move to a new house and ask that that would all go smoothly and um, just be a wonderful time. And then lastly, we would ask that you give us all a, a spirit of unity. Let there be unity in their family, in their home, but also among us. Because as Jesus prayed, he prayed for unity. Let us all be united as we serve you and help us to encourage one another and pray for and encourage us and remind us to pray for our pastors every day. And again, we just thank you. Uh, what a blessing they are. And let them know that uh, we love them and we thank you for them. And it's all in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. As we move back into our spaces here, I'll just ask that you go ahead and stand with us. Uh, let's remain intentional this morning, like Pastor was saying. Um, there's a lot of distractions, and uh, it can be very, very easy to lose sight of why we're really here. Um, is it routine, or are we really coming to be part of our family um, with God at the head here? So let's worship this morning.
the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. this morning. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen.
so beautifully into worship. I want to do something a little bit different for our time of prayer this morning. As I uh, shared earlier, it's just been heavy on my heart, as I'm sure uh, it has been for all of you, just all of the turmoil and the chaos that's unfolding in Jerusalem and in the with the Palestinians and just the surrounding nations and in that area. Um, and to be honest, like, I'm just really exhausted with people telling me how I should feel about it one way or the other, like who I should have compassion for, uh, from whom I should withhold compassion. And I'm just really exhausted with, with uh, how social media informs us and tells us how to feel about things like this. And so uh, knowing that I wanted to spend some time in prayer for all that's happening over there, because, I mean, we know that it's nothing uh, shy of, of devastating, um, gut-wrenching, earth-shattering for so many families, and there's just, there's not enough words. Um, and so... I am so grateful for resources in times like this, for liturgies uh, that are, are put together. And so it's something that, that has been carefully put together, but it's something that we can pray when we don't have the words. Um, and it's in these times where liturgy is really helpful uh, to give us the words that we often don't have. And so um, I have purchased some, some books and follow this group uh, called Every Moment Holy, and, and they produce liturgies for various seasons, occasions. And so I want us, I want to lead us in this prayer um, that's called a liturgy for a time of widespread suffering. Um, and so as I lead us, as I pray these words, um, I want to invite you to pray them with me in your hearts, um, to just lift up in this moment. In this moment, we, we recognize we have burdens, we have needs that we have brought into this place, but this morning I just feel compelled to, to lift up our brothers and sisters um, in the Middle East, and we know that God is near, we know that God cares, we know that God is, is grieving, and so these are just the words that we have to offer to him this morning. So would you join me in wholeheartedly lifting up those in the Middle East today as I, as I guide us in this prayer. Christ, our King, our world is overtaken by unexpected calamity and by a host of attending fears, worries, and insecurities. We witness immense suffering and confusion and hardship multiplied around us and we find ourselves swept up in these same anxieties and troubles dismayed by so many uncertainties. And so now we turn to you, O oh God, in this season of our common distress. Be merciful, O oh Christ, to those who suffer, to those who right this moment are worrying to those who in the days to come will continue to grieve and are grieving, to those who are threatened or harmed in any way by this upheaval, 
Let your holy compassions be active throughout the world, even now tending the afflicted, comforting the brokenhearted, and bringing hope to many who are hopeless. Use even these hardships, God, in in a way that only you can do to woo our hearts nearer to you, O God. Indeed, Father, may these days of disquiet become a catalyst for conviction and repentance, for the tendering of our affections, for the stirring of our sympathies, for the refining of your love. We are your people who are called by you. We need not be troubled or alarmed. Indeed, O Lord, let us love now more fearlessly, remembering that you created us, all of us, and appointed us to live in these very places in the midst of these unsettled times. It is no surprise to you that we are here now sharing, witnessing this turmoil along with the rest of the world, for you have called your children to live as salt and light among the nations, praying and laboring for the flourishing of the communities where we dwell, acting as agents of your forgiveness, your salvation, your healing, your reconciliation, your hope in the very midst of an often troubled world. And in these holy vocations, you have not left us helpless, O Lord because you have not left us at all. Your spirit remains among us and among them. So inhabit now your church, O spirit of the risen Christ. Unite and equip your people for the work before them. Father, empower your children to live as your children. In times of distress, let us not respond, not as those who would instinctively entrench for our own self-preservation, but rather as those who, in the imitation of their Lord, would move in humble obedience toward the needs and toward the hurts of our neighborhoods and communities. You are not ashamed to share in our sufferings, Jesus. Let us now be willing to share in yours, serving as your visible witnesses in this broken world. Hear now these words, children of God, and be encouraged. The Lord's throne in heaven is yet occupied. His rule is eternal, and his good purposes on earth will be accomplished. So we need never be swayed by the brief and passing panics of this age, although we acknowledge them today. You are the king of ages, O Christ, and history is held in your Father's hands. We, your people, know the good and glorious end of this story. Our heavenly hope is secure. In this time of widespread suffering, then, let us rest afresh in the surpassing peace of that vision that your whole church on earth might be liberated to love more generously and sacrificially. So now labor in and through us, O Lord, extending and multiplying the many expressions of your mercy. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus who draws near And all God's people said, amen, amen.
we continue to pray in the coming days and, and we just I just encourage you to just bring your honest emotions before the Lord as you try to balance it all. Um, he's more than capable of, of helping us to care, carry and bear these burdens. All right, well, we're going to shift gears a little bit. It's heavy and it's hard, and, and I just tread very carefully and acknowledging just how difficult it is. But uh, we are in right smack in the middle of this series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's been a, a few weeks now that we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians, and I, I just want to encourage you to be open, continue to be open to the words that Paul has for the church in Ephesus, and, and continue to be open to take note of how these words speak to us today. And, and I pray that we would be open to, to receiving these words, this direction, this encouragement, and may it shift and, and change and work itself out in us? Are you open and willing to do that, to let these words kind of reshape your imagination of what it means to be the church? Yes? Are you willing? Yes. Okay, good, good. Um, well, last week we started in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and um, if you weren't here last week, although, or if you were, I'll, I'll just kind of remind you uh, really quickly that up until last week, we were doing a lot of sitting, if you will, uh, sitting in the heavenlies, or another way of saying that is reminding ourselves as we listen to the words from the Apostle Paul that we are indeed seated with Christ, that our identity is first and foremost found in Jesus Christ, in King Jesus, and everything we seek to do, every step that we take, every way that we seek to live starts, begins, and finishes with Jesus and with who Jesus has called us, right? He's called us loved. He has called us his children. God has called us his own. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, and that has to remain with us. Like, we can't seek to walk in the truths and in the ways of Jesus without continually remembering and acknowledging that we sit with Christ. And I love how Paul seems to also want us to continue to recall this truth because he uses so many therefores. And you'll we're not going to read all of, of the text that I'm going to go through today, but all throughout the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, Paul continues to say, therefore, therefore, therefore. And I take that as little hints, little reminders to recall, right? Like it's because of who you are in Christ. It's because of what Christ has done for you that you can live and walk in these ways. Therefore, remember, don't forget where you are seated and whom you are seated. And so last week we talked about, because Paul is shifting gears, as I said, he's, he's going from being seated in this truth, this reality, to now here's what it looks like to walk in this way, to live these things out. And last week we looked at that well-known verse in um, chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, therefore live a life, therefore live a life worthy of your calling, right? Live in a way that is worthy of your calling. And we talked about how, how last week we talked about how that kind of means two things for us, going off of what Paul says after that, that walking worthily means, number one, that we walk together, 
right? And, and we don't try to walk this journey alone with our heads down, just me and Jesus. I don't need anyone else. Uh, I, can't, I can do this without them. It's too much, right? We acknowledge that to walk worthily means we walk together. Paul did not have an imagination for what it looked like for Christians to walk alone, to follow Jesus alone without the fellowship and community of other believers. He could not fathom what that would be like. And so we have to continue to push up against an individualistic society and even church culture that, that says, you got this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it work. Just you and Jesus, right? No, Jesus gave us the gift of church. Friends, you are a gift. Do you know that? You are a gift to me. You are a gift to each other. That's worthy of a few smiles, you're a gift. You've been given the gift of the church. And we need each other if we're going to learn and, and live out this, this worthy calling that we've been, to which we've been called. And so the second aspect of that that we talked about last week was walking worthily means, oof, this was a hard one, that we all participate in the building of the body. Paul is, is now shifting gears and he's talking about what it means to be a mature Christian. He's talking about what it looks like and what it means to grow up. That, that you Just grow up. That sounds really insensitive, but that's not how he says it. That's not how I mean it. Just grow up already, right? But Paul is saying, come on, you're meant for so much more. Don't stay in the baby phases of being a Christian. You need to receive discipleship. You need to be discipling others. You need to be talking about the hard stuff with others. You need to be going deep with each other. You need to, to, to participate in what God is doing through the church, in the life of the church. Your participation is necessary as the body of Christ is growing, is being built, and is faithfully seeking fullness in Christ. And so we talked about how in the church, there ought to be no Christians who just sit on the sidelines and spectate. This is not a spectator sport. This is, this is what we've been called to do, to participate, to find our place. You've been gifted to serve in your church, to serve the body of Christ. And Paul says, if, in order to grow and to mature in the way that Christ would have you, you need to know your place and participate. Don't withhold, right? That's a hard word. And, and by the way, it doesn't really get any easier from here on out. Paul gets really practical, right? You want practical, you're going to get practical. You just may not like the practicality of what Paul has to say. But it's, it's not going to get any easier because, and here's why I think that is, because this is relational living at its finest. It's difficult. It requires something of us. And we're going to be sitting in a really uh, profound tension today, as we always are, uh, and, and I'll kind of share more about that as we go. But, but that's important to, to, to remind you of as we move forward, because there's, there's a larger context here that we're working within. It's all connected. Right? It all flows from one to the next, from one thought to the next. And so uh, we're going to be in chapter, the rest of chapter 4 and, and looking at chapter 5. Don't worry. Don't freak out. It's, we're not going to be reading all of that, just kind of referencing it, uh, going throughout. And, and Paul is going to take this opportunity to remind his Gentile audience. Remember, he's speaking mostly and primary to, primarily to Gentiles because they're having to, to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus in, in their context, and it's just so difficult. And so Paul is reminding them to, to 
disregard their former way of living and to press on toward the fullness of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to read just a brief little section of that. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able as we read uh, these two verses, or three verses, sorry, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you grateful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, I want to focus on these loaded verses really quickly uh, before we move on to kind of cover the rest of what Paul says uh, that goes along with this. I don't want you to miss those three commands that Paul gives in these verses, right? There's three specific actions that Paul gives. It's very simple, but it's very important. He, he encourages us, he instructs us, the Gentile Christians, to put off or to take off their former ways of living, right? To put off or take off those old behaviors, to shed them, to get rid of them. And this is really faithful to the original Greek text, this, this idea of putting off or taking off, like you're taking it off and you're getting rid of it, okay? And then the second action or the, the second call that he is bringing before his audience is to be made new. So get rid of that which divides you, that which is separating you from Christ, and be made new. It's an invitation to be made new by the Spirit of God. And then the third action that he calls us to is to put on or to take on a new self. Uh, I'm sure you've heard many sermons preached on these words, on these verses. I have. I've heard it put many different ways that are all helpful to really understand what Paul is saying. Uh, as I was trying to balance all of that this week, because there, there's so much uh, that we could consider in trying to really best understand what Paul is saying, a lot of scholars talk about how this might point to baptism, and that makes sense, right? Like when you go down in the waters, you are leaving behind your old self. You're dying to self. So in a sense, you're taking off and you're coming up. You're raised to new life in Christ. You're putting on that of King Jesus. Uh, a lot of times in the ritual of baptism, uh, baptism candidates will go in the water wearing one garment and they'll come out and, and they'll be placed with a new garment to maybe even signify that this is what you're doing. This is a symbol of, of what you're doing. You're dying to self. You're putting off the old self. You're being made new in the image of Christ through his death and resurrection, and you are putting on the new self. And I think that that is very true and faithful to what Paul could be talking about, but I also think it's helpful to, rem to remember that this is not limited, okay? This is important, this is not limited to just the act or the ritual of baptism. It's helpful, and, and here's where I think this could be really helpful, is this, as if every person remembered and thought of their baptism every day of their life. That's the only way that it works to, to, to picture baptism alone here, because I think a lot of people picture baptism and it's a box to check, right? Like it's the ritual, it's the thing you do when you get saved, and, and it's just what you do. 
But, but you got to live that out every single day. You're, you're called to remember your baptism, if you will, every single day. I have seen people take this very seriously. I've heard of, of people who uh, will have a picture framed of their baptism, and they'll hang it somewhere in their house where they see it every single day because it's not just a ritual or a box to check. It's a sacred ritual. Don't mishear me. It's important. It's sacred. It's holy. This is the important thing that we do in the church, right? Like it symbolizes life and and beauty and life alive in Christ. But it's also equally important that we recall our baptism every single day we die to self, right? Like I heard of a guy who, in fact, it's our newly elected general superintendent, Scott Daniels, who shares the story of a parishioner of his when he was at Pasadena Church in in California, and he shared that that this congregant framed his picture of his baptism and put candles around it like a shrine. And some of you might be like, well, that's a little extreme. But he was like, I was captivated by his commitment to daily remember and recall his baptism because he's going to die to self every single day. So do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes, baptism, but not just the, the box to check. I think that what Paul is saying is true to baptism, but it's, it's also about a behavior, a lifestyle that we are pursuing, right? And we do that every single day. Every single day we are called, as Paul said in these verses, to live like God in true righteousness and holiness. Some of you have already made up your mind that that's just not attainable. It's just not attainable to live in true righteousness and holiness like God. And some of you might be hearing this with a little bit of, of hurt and regret that, that all your life you've just beat yourself up because you couldn't attain to this idea that you've been told your whole life to just be more righteous and be more holy. And so we'll kind of unpack that too. But, but in so many ways, it's helpful to understand what Paul is saying. And, and I think that we could kind of understand that in a few different ways. But something that I was so excited about this week, I love, like, I love with the Apostle Paul, I'm really appreciating how he takes, um, he takes symbols of his day. And, and he, he, it seems like he has those in mind as he's speaking to his Gentile audience. Okay, so one example here with this language of, of taking off, being made new, and putting on. Uh, I was really fascinated to hear or read this week that in Paul's time, okay, let me preface this just for a moment because I chuckled to myself this week. Um, I'm going to be saying stuff that is going to fly over a lot of your heads and you're just going to be like, what are you talking about? But Raise your hand if you've heard of the social media trend. It's not really trending anymore. You know, it's like so two weeks ago or so last month probably at this point of, of how often do you think of the Roman Empire? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, yeah, and some of you, it's because of me. You're welcome. I'm just kidding. I was really fascinated by this trend, and I wanted to talk about it to everyone uh, just to kind of share with you this trend, uh, this means nothing in, in terms of the sermon, by the way. It's just fun to talk about things sometimes, right, and, and keep you in the loop of what's happening in social media as if you care. You don't, but it's fine. Uh, there was this trend that, that, and I think a lot of it was among millennials and Gen Z. I didn't see a lot of, of older generations participating in this trend, but 
young females would go to their significant other and they would say, hey, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And the, the male would be like, all the time. Like, she's like, how often? And they would be like, like once a day, a couple times a week, several times a month. And every time the women are like, what? Why? And they're like, why are you not thinking about the Roman Empire? Why would you not be thinking about the Roman Empire all the time? And it's just this fascinating culture thing that's happening, at least among a certain generation, that that young men are always thinking about the Roman Empire and how it, I guess, relates to things today. I don't know. I don't get it. I never think about the Roman Empire. This week, I thought a lot about the Roman Empire, okay? So, Finally, I can kind of get on board with where a lot of people have been at over the past few weeks as we talk about this trend. It's just all fun. Uh, but I learned this week that during Paul's time, this was a thing among particularly elite Romans, and they would have this coming-of-age ceremony for the young men in, in the Roman culture. And this ceremony was all surrounding the putting on or the donning of the toga, but not just any toga, a particular toga. Did you know there was more than one toga? I didn't know. I thought a toga was a toga, and I didn't think much else about it. But apparently there are several different types of togas that, that Roman men would wear. Women wore them too, but that's a whole different story. Uh, that they would wear, and they would symbolize different things or different phases in one's life. And so what I learned, especially about this week, was what they call, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, but this is called the toga pretexta, okay? And this was a purple toga that young men would wear until their coming of age, somewhere around 16. You cannot convince me that the guy in this photo is 16. You just can't, okay? You cannot convince me, but I don't know what to do with that. It was the best picture I could find. It was the most legit picture I could find. And, and you just can't convince me that he's 16, but the point still stands. Somewhere around the age of 16, a young Roman boy would go from wearing a purple toga called the toga pretexta, and then they would go through the ceremony, and on the other side, they would come out wearing this white toga, this all-white toga called the toga virilis, okay? Did you learn something new today? I learned something new this week. I didn't think I needed to know. And why is that significant? Other than I really appreciate that perhaps Paul had this idea in mind. Because this would have been something that was known by many, whether you were a part of Roman culture or just kind of lived adjacent to Roman culture or in Roman culture. This is something that people would have known. And, and I learned that when a young man goes from wearing this purple toga to this white toga, it symbolizes something new about him. He is now seen as someone who has dignity and authority, and you probably know that's a big deal in Roman culture, right? It's a big deal to be seen as someone who carries dignity and authority. This white toga symbolized maturity of the young man. This young man was now responsible. He was going to be seen as, as dignified, and he has authority, and he now carries this responsibility to practice a life of uprightness, and, and he is... He is called to act wisely because he now wears this white toga. These clothes that, that these young men are putting off and taking on, they mean something. There's significance and value, and I found that really interesting. 
that Paul is saying, using this language that perhaps would have caught the attention of his listeners, like they're thinking, oh, maybe kind of like the Romans and how they put off and take on and take off and put on new clothes. And so I just kind of, I hope that that helps you to see um, the significance of what Paul is saying, because even more so than, than a young man going from a purple toga to a white toga, like what Paul is saying to Christians, to the Gentile believers, is so much more significant, right? We see that. This metaphor breaks down eventually, but what Paul is saying is, friends, the nature of the gospel is transforming. Like your life should look different after you come into a relationship with Jesus. Your life should look significantly different. There ought to be something different about you, as if you were putting on and taking something off, as if you were taking off and putting something new on. That's how evident the the relationship that you have with Jesus ought to be in your life. Paul is inviting us to put off, to to renew our minds, allow the Spirit to renew our minds. We are allowing the Holy Spirit of God to make us new. And in this outward way of living, this renewing works itself outward, right? The Spirit, the work that the Spirit is doing is noticeable, or it should be. It should be noticeable to those around us. And all of this as we've been saying, is in the context of what it means to grow up and mature in Christ. Remember, Paul is is talking about growing up and maturing so that we're not tossed here and there by different winds and things that come up in our life. And I really appreciate, so we're going to kind of move on to the end of four and into chapter five if you just wanted to do a quick reference. And you're going to notice that Paul is not playing games here. Like Paul speaking to his Gentile audience is going to tell them what this means for them. It's not enough to just say, guys, you need to take off that which hinders you and and separates you from the likeness of Christ, be made new by the Spirit, and then put on something new. Like, he doesn't just stop there. He gets into really specific examples of what this looks like. And he's not watering it down. He's not playing around here. He says, it's time to take off the old and put on the new, and, and here's an idea of what this looks like for you. Right? He, he's essentially saying any sinful behaviors that are going to lead to corruption or destruction, you are to take off. It's not optional. You are to take off these things that hinder you. And so we see this throughout the rest of four and into five. And I kind of just did a little bit of a capture, a quick capture for you here. Among the things that Paul says specifically to his audience, he says, this looks like putting off falsehood, anything that is not true, anything that is a lie, get rid of it. Take it off. Put off your anger. Don't even entertain angry thoughts is is similar to the language Paul uses here. Put it off. There's no room for it. Put off stealing, taking what doesn't belong to you. Put off unwholesome talk. Put off all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Take it off. It's done. It's gone. Put off sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. He says, take off obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. There's no room for that among the people of God. He says, take off or put off drunkenness and debauchery. 
These are some of the things that Paul's saying, and I think it's important for us to remember that Paul is speaking to Gentile Christians who, for whom this is going to look very specific. Because remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about the context here and how the Gentile Christians in Ephesus uh, are living with a very particular issue, right? Like, we talked about what it meant to live in Ephesus. We talked about the temple of, of the goddess Artemis, and we talked about just a little glimpse uh, of what the cult worship of Artemis would have looked like and how every day the Christians in Ephesus are just faced with this reality, right? Like there's this this overwhelming temptation, this draw to to worship the goddess Artemis. Uh, There were a lot of different cults going on at the time, though. I learned of another one this week. There was the cult of um, Dionysus. I'm probably butchering that, or he's also known as Bacchus. And, And... I won't even get into the particulars of what, these, uh, what this cult was known for. Let's just say that Paul puts it really nicely and briefly when he says, put off drunkenness and debauchery, okay? Like, <laughs> that's basically what it is. You can let your mind wander and imagine, like, the specifics of that, but it was really happening. Like, this is what people were invited to do and, and how they were invited to participate in the cult worship of this time. And so Paul is reminding the Ephesians. This is where we may not be able to relate to what Paul is saying specifically to the Ephesians, to the to the Christians in Ephesus, but Paul is saying, remember, you're going to continue to see these things. You're going to continue to be tempted and enticed by these things, but you have to resist uh, going back into that way of living. This was really hard for me this week cuz I'm like this is really not all that relatable right? Like this, I mean, some of it is, surely, but specifically this, this drunkenness and debauchery that, that took place uh, in this cult of Dionysus. Um, and I think in a lot of places in our culture, we can acknowledge that, yes, this is absolutely relatable, but for like most of us, hopefully it's not all that relatable, right? But then I was, I was reading about um, what different scholars name as like our um, modern day, maybe exploitation um, of of others that we see, right? And and they talked a lot about how yeah we in the West are not tempted by uh, worship and cult practices most of the time, and yet one example of of what Paul might address today in in our context today is this outrageous idea that that we have things like internet pornography that is so readily available for anyone and everyone, right? It's just a one example of what Paul might address today. And, and the, the, when you get to the bottom of it, what that is, is, is the greedy worship and, and consumption of the bodies of others that, that we create, right? In our own way, we create this this uh, immediate ability to be able to consume and, and to entertain instant gratification. Like at the end of the day, it's destructive behavior that we create, that we tolerate, that, that a lot of people in and with outside of the church participate in. And the heart of what Paul is talking about here is that these types of, of sexual sins And the things that Paul is talking about is that more often than not, they include violence and abuse and disrespect and dishonoring people, human people that God has created and loves, 
right? That's a lot of times what's at the bottom of some of these horrible uh, issues and plagues that we see in our society, and, and it's, just, it's just what it is. And so Paul is, and this is just one example of how Paul is inviting the, the church in Ephesus to say, you should have no place that should have no place in your life as a follower of Jesus. Like as a follower of Jesus, you ought to have no part in violence or abuse or the disrespect or dishonoring of another person's body, right? And, and you can, you're all smart adults or old enough kids. You can also imagine like the other ways that we go about dishonoring the bodies and lives of other people that God has made in his image, right? You don't have to consume pornography to do that. And so Paul is saying you have to be very uh, intentional so as not to participate in these destructive sexual behaviors that absolutely would have plagued Paul's day and still continue to plague our day even still. And, you know, something I really appreciated about about what Paul is saying here is, go look up Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount, and hold it next to what Paul is saying here in, in chapters four and five of Ephesians. And you're gonna notice a lot of similarities. Like Paul is not coming up with this on his own. Jesus has already laid out these ways of following him, what this looks like, and Paul is echoing the words of Jesus. Whew, yeah, that's heavy stuff for sure. And I love how Dr. Lynn Kohick, she says this. She says, essentially, what Paul is, is saying here is that in the forthcoming unity of all things under Christ, there is no place for those who reject or resist the mercy of the loving Father. Those who perpetuate violence, abuse of power, and unchecked desires are invited, I would say compelled through the rich mercy of God to be made alive in Christ. And essentially what this means is taking off, right? Taking off and putting on something that looks completely different. And so I think as we kind of come to a close here that this, with this putting off and this putting on language, Paul recognizes that this is a daily choice, if you will. Like this is a daily behavior to, to walk in this way. It's a daily uh, a decision daily to die to self, to die to all of the different things that, that we are tempted by and with and to walk in the direction of Christ, right? Like every day you have the decision because God does not force himself on us. It's a tension, you guys. It's such a careful tension. And so I don't want you to walk away with like, oh, beating myself up because I just can't get it right. But I also want us to recognize that God doesn't force himself or his ways upon us. And so it's a daily decision every day. You can decide to walk away from Christ and more towards evil because anything that's not of Christ is that, even if we want to call it like, oh, it's not that bad, right? Insert your like, this is fine because I don't want to deal with it, behavior or sinful behavior. Right? Every day you have the decision to walk away from Christ toward evil or you have the decision to walk intentionally to Christ being made more and more into the image, the likeness of Christ. And as soon as you decide that today I'm going to walk toward Jesus, I'm going to open myself up to be made more and more like Jesus 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and only through the power of the Holy Spirit are you able to walk in that way intentionally, putting off these behaviors and putting on that which leads to a Christ-like holiness. And before you know it, we, followers of Jesus, reflect God's goodness. We reflect God's righteousness. Do we always get it right? No, we don't. But we are, through the power of the Spirit, able to reflect God's righteousness, holiness, and truth. But I don't want us to be mistaken. All of this hinges on one thing, and that is walking in the power of the Spirit. Yes, you get to decide every day who you're going to follow and who you're going to serve, which God you're going to serve, which God you are going to, to serve that day but it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that you can walk in that way faithfully. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you wrestling with this with me? I went back and forth. I carefully and meticulously went through this sermon so many times because I was like, I don't want it to seem like you just need to try harder. You just need to do better, right? Like in your own power, you will fail. But I also want you to recognize that there is There is something to be said about a desire or a willingness to let the Holy Spirit work himself out within us so that it comes out of us. It's such a tension that we wrestle with. Uh, Watchman Nee, I don't have a slide for this, but he would say something like this. He'd say, this is not something we work for or we try for, but we trust. I love that. You're not working for this or trying for this, but you're trusting in God's good work as you intentionally follow in the ways of King Jesus. And church, as unpopular as it is, and I feel this, walking in the ways of Jesus mean doing and living out certain things and not doing and living out certain things. Right? Walking in the ways of Jesus does mean that we refuse to participate in behaviors that are destructive, behaviors that that taint this image of Christ within us. And walking in the ways of Jesus does mean intentionally doing things that do reflect the ways of King Jesus. And so the question is, are, are, are our hearts willing daily to submit to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do within us? And here's where the rubber meets the road in this particular point in Ephesus. I think what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus and to us, make no mistake, that there is a difference between knowing and doing. There's a difference. Like, you can know all of Ephesians 1 through 3. You can know it. You can recite it. You can have it hanging on your wall, written on your mirror. The whole thing. But until you live out or intentionally walk the way of Ephesians 4 through 6, what difference does it make, really? If the the truth and the transformation of the gospel of who Jesus is, if that doesn't work itself out from within, what, what are we doing? All right, you know I had to do it. Eugene Peterson. He says, Holy Spirit is God's presence with us, making us personal participants in all his work, empowering us to be present in all his work. 
Nothing in creation, nothing in reconciliation is out there to be admired or on hold for special occasions or reserved for God's favorites. Friends, listen to this. He says, everything in scripture is livable. Everything in scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit is livable. But not in the sense of a commodity that we can get or consume and then use as we like. And not in the sense of a skill that we can acquire and then do with as we please. You feel the tension? Holy Spirit is God's active presence making us full-blooded participants Spirit-breathing God's creation and salvation in our resurrection lives. It is because of God's way with us as spirit that we know that everything in and about God is livable. God bringing us into participation with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not merely truths to be learned and believed. They are to be lived. Friends, we are the resurrection community. We are. We are the resurrection community. Our walking, living, breathing shows the world a resurrected Jesus. That's how it ought to be. Is that how it is? Can we tell a difference these days between a world that's hopeless and just doing whatever feels good and whatever makes me feel better about my life and myself in this moment? Can we tell the difference between those behaviors and those who are walking in the transformative power of God? I wonder sometimes, and I'm looking at myself like, oh, does my unchecked anger separate me at all? Like, do I surrender that to the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to work itself out in me? And so I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And I can't say this enough. I don't know why I'm picking that up. <laughs> I'm done with that. I can't say this enough that, that this is not a laundry list of do's and don'ts, okay? That's kind of why I refrain from using specific examples other than the one that I think Paul really would have had in mind for his audience. I tried not to use really specific examples or behaviors because I don't want this to become a list of do's and don'ts, right? We can read the Bible, We can read scripture, we can look at the ways that Jesus lived his life, the things he did and didn't do, and we can well deduce what that means for us, right? I trust you. I trust you with that. You don't need me to tell you, do this, don't do this. That's not what this is. This is not a plea for for stricter legalism in and among the church. We tried that, it didn't work, and I, I fault a lot of our ultra-legalistic ways as to why the church is where we are today with culture and just not really being able to tell the difference most of the time. A lot of that's a backlash to the over-legalism that we saw in and among the church. And so that's not what this is. What this is is that Paul has in mind a new creation that has already begun. Paul has in mind a new way of living that has already been put into motion in and through Jesus. And it's a way of living that is empowered and sustained by the living Holy Spirit within us. And so Paul has in mind a Christ-likeness that just flows out of us, right? I mean, to the point that you don't even have to think about it. Like, that's the ideal here, is that you just get to a place 
And again, only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you get to a place where you don't even have to think about it. Like, it's just what comes out of you. You're pressed, Christ comes out. You're feeling tempted and you want to give in to a a specific desire. When you're pressed, Christ comes out, right? When you're feeling grieved and overwhelmed and anxious and frustrated, when pressed, Christ comes out. You don't even have to think about it. It's second nature because it's all you know. That's the goal here. But it's a daily, intentional decision to walk this way. And so I guess what I leave you with is, are you open to that? Are you willing to continue to let the Holy Spirit work himself out within you so that he just flows from you and that when the world sees you, oh, they see such a beautiful picture of Jesus. That's what I want, and that's my prayer for us. So God, in this moment, we invite you to give us that imagination. Holy Spirit, do in this moment what you would like. Speak to us in the ways that you've already been speaking to us. God, help us to, in and through your power, to live faithfully in these ways. And we know it's only in and by your strength that it's possible. Amen. You can stand if you like. Worthy of it.
Every breath we could ever 
Give us an imagination so that we can live and walk in this way. I invite you to stay tuned next week. If you read what's coming next in chapter 5, we're going to get into the really nitty-gritty of, of what this looks like in households, husbands and wives, in your professional relationships among parents and children. It's going to get real practical, so get ready. Come open and ready to hear how the Lord wants to give you an imagination to live in this way in every aspect of your life. So friends, I hope you get to stick around for a few moments and enjoy some fellowship with one another. But more importantly and equally important, I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, who is inviting you daily to walk in the ways of Jesus to be that new creation that is already taking place so that others can see and be pointed to life in Christ. Go in his power alone. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.